0: So, welcome. It's a great weekend because everybody's moods are up, because the Buckeyes did well, and uh, my Ducks also did well. Um, So, you know, it's just kind of good, and my youngest son had a tournament yesterday, and they they actually, he's on a a soccer team that has done really well during the season, but never won a tournament game, and they won both of them yesterday, and uh, probably will be playing in the championship this afternoon, so... uh, It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. So it's just been a really fun weekend. Um, we're finishing up today this R12 series, and if you're newer here and uh, or maybe this is your first Sunday here, don't worry. This is the sixth part of a series we've been on that the small groups are studying as well. And basically, what we've been talking about is this concept: What does it mean to be truly spiritual? What does it mean to have a relationship with God and a life where we're not worried and we're just not always being weighed down by rules and feeling like everything in religion and faith is about guilt and all these kind of motivations, but, but what, what helps us find a relationship with God and a relationship with other people that is truly life-giving, not, not restricting, not something we go, oh, do I really have to do that, but something life-giving and today we're going to talk about an issue that I think is is extremely important. In fact in fact, I think that the issue we're talking about today has a lot to do with why many of us never get to that place of a life giving spirituality. I think it's one of those things that creates a block in our heart and a block in our mind and a block on our relationship with God and others that, that is just really huge. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the idea of what do we do? What do we do in life? When evil happens, when when stuff comes against us when when we 're hurt and we're, we're abused and we're neglected we're, you know we're treated unjustly and, and, and how, to, how that so easily affects our heart in a way that makes our hearts kind of like a rock we carry around these things in our life that are just heavy and, 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 and we find ourselves having to protect ourselves from God or keep God at a distance because we 're really not sure if we can trust we're, not, we're really not sure if we can open up because we've been burned how do we deal with the evil that comes against us and how do we overcome it in a way that allows us to stay open and and live life in this amazingly life-giving spirituality and joy and peace that god wants us to live in that's the topic for today and you know As I was thinking about this, I I thought back to uh, one of the more dramatic experiences that that my wife and I have faced in ministry. It was in the mid-90s. We were pastoring in Tulsa, and there was a a guy coming to our church who was very successful. And on the fast track, he was just on the fast track in his firm and fairly high up already and just making a ton of money and driving his Jaguar to to church. And, and, you know, just he was a a go-getter. But he was having marriage problems and he was trying to get into counseling and, and he was in our counseling center for a little bit and then all of a sudden one day uh, somebody comes in the office and says, you've got to look at the paper and turn the news on. He just decided one day to drive down to the parking garage where his wife worked because they were separated and he shot her, killed her, leaving behind small kids, effectively, completely motherless and, and effectively fatherless because he was going to jail for most of the rest of his life. And can you imagine, can you imagine those kids who had a faith in God and, and the family members and the parents and, and the siblings and all, what, what their questions were at that moment about God? You know, God, I, I, I want to I live free. I, I don't want to throw a stone at him. I don't want to have this anger. I don't want to have this feeling of hardness in my heart. But, but God, how do I get there? Because every time I think about him, I just want to pick up a stone and throw it at him. Every time I think about him, I just want to yell at him. And God, how can I get past this? And you know what? Probably very few of us, maybe some of us, but probably very few of us have experienced that exact kind of betrayal and that exact kind of abuse. But the reality is all of us have experienced it in some form or fashion. Many of you may have experienced it, maybe not the same circumstance, but you may have experienced it as deeply as this person, as this family did. You've been betrayed. You've been, you've been let down. You've been hurt by people. And so you, you sit there and find yourself struggling. How, how do I deal with this? How, how do I become this soft, open person that can live life with joy and peace and, and engage life again? And we're going to look today at a character in the Bible, and you're going to talk about this more in your small groups this week, but we're going to look at a character named Joseph who I think experienced probably almost as much and, and, and probably in a lot of instances more than we've ever experienced in terms of the potential for these rocks to lodge in his heart and, and make him hard and, and, and make him bitter. And we're going to look at him because his story goes from a pit to a palace, but, but, but even before that heart of that story, we, we look at his family and we see that Joseph was raised, or, 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 Joseph was raised in a uh, very dysfunctional home. We see him being pegged by his father. Uh, they have 12 boys in the family. I don't know, actually, the Bible record doesn't exactly record how many girls. So this is a really large family. And Joseph is picked out. He's not even the oldest one. He's picked out as the favorite. And his father sets him up for abuse by his brothers. And his brothers give it to him willingly. And then we not only see that, but we see Joseph coming to this point where God gives him a dream for his life and a promise of what his destiny is going to be in life. And and Joseph doesn't even steward it wisely. He He doesn't steward it quietly, waiting for God to let it happen. He goes to his whole family and says, hey, God showed me in two different dreams that all of you are going to bow down to me and I'm going to rule over you someday. And can you imagine what that did to the family relationships? They went from... Bad to worse. You know, we're going to look at chapters 37 through 50 really fast today. And I'm not going to read it all because you'd be here all day, right? So I want to encourage you to go home. And, and here's the point. This is a really big part of the first book of the Bible. And I think because it's such a big part that God intended to take so much time to deal with this story, I think it's a really important lesson for all of us to learn. Otherwise, he wouldn't have addressed that much time and space in the Bible to telling us this story and and this man's life. So we're going to look at that. You know, a, a large part of the dysfunction in Joseph's family was the favoritism Jacob, his dad, showed him. In fact, Jacob just wasn't the kind of dad who basically went around treating him kind of nice and and saying, you know, know, not quietly saying to him, you're my favorite, but not really saying that in front of everybody because, you know, we've all been in families or we've been in jobs or we've been with coaches who have favorites, but they usually don't go around advertising it, right? But Jacob's family... Uh, In Jacob's family, he actually advertised it. He gave Joseph this coat of many colors, this extravagantly beautiful coat, especially for that day when you couldn't go to places and buy stuff really colorful all the time. He gives him this beautiful coat so everywhere he walks, everybody can know this is his favorite. And isn't that nice to him? And Joseph actually kind of believed the press a little bit about it as well. But one day... Uh, Joseph, uh, Jacob asks Joseph to go check on his brothers in the field. You see, here, here's another example of the favoritism. Uh, Jacob's brothers are sent out to tend the flocks in the fields, which basically means they're moving, the, they're moving the herd from this place of grass and this place of water, and when that's eaten, they're going to the next. And, and so these guys are camping out under the rocks with the scorpions in the desert and the snakes in the desert, and, and they're, they're having a really cushy time out in the desert while Jacob gets to stay back in the nice tents and sleep in the hammock and get the best of the food and everything's cooked by the servants and and so you know he's just you know he's just really roughing it right and so Jacob sets him up again and says why don't you go out and you check on him and I want you to bring back a story to me of how they're doing because see jo- Joseph uh, was the tattletale of the family anytime the brothers did something wrong he was the one who made sure dad knew it and dad knew he was going to tell him that so he, he put him in that role a nice guy right so Joseph is out sitting there walking through the countryside trying to find his brothers, find where they're at the, at the latest moment, and he walks over a hill and his brothers can see this beautiful coat from you know a mile away, so they have plenty of time to get worked up before he gets there. And by the time he gets there, the long and the short of it is his brothers are all sitting there going, I'm gonna, we, we want to kill him. I mean, they're so worked up, we want to kill him. And, and finally one of the brothers talks him out of that, and instead they, they mercifully sell him into slavery. To some passerbys who were on their way to Egypt to sell slaves and goods in, in Egypt. And, and they take his coat of many colors and they stain it with lamb's blood and take it back to his dad and say, Ah, Joseph got killed by a wild animal, sorry. So Joseph goes from the lap of, of, of cushy favoritism to the most desperate of situations within a few minutes. Can you imagine what he's going through? Can you imagine yourself at 15 to 17 years old, which is what he's estimated to be about this time? Can you imagine yourself having gone from the comfort of dad to being tied up behind a cart, getting whipped every time you fall behind on your way to be sold in a human meat market in in Egypt? Or or can you imagine, if you can't imagine that for yourself, can you imagine your kid of 15 to 17 being in that role? And the pain and and the betrayal and the level of desperation, the level of abuse the level of abandonment and rejection that's gone on. And we find him in, in Egypt then being sold in the human meat market to a guy named Potiphar who we find out is in, in our language today is basically the head of the secret service for Pharaoh. He's, the, he's head of the bodyguard for Pharaoh and he's head, of the, he's head of the royal prison that holds all the political prisoners and, and he's a really bigwig. And Joseph gets sold to him and... And we find that Joseph has these gifts of interpreting dreams and these gifts of leadership and administration and, and for whatever reason he just prospers and, and everything he sets his hand to as a servant does well. So eventually Potiphar, this very powerful man, basically says, Hey, I got better things to do. I gotta gotta make sure Pharaoh doesn't get killed. And I gotta I gotta go out and hunt down all the political threats and put him in jail. So here, you take care of my entire household. I trust you. Because you're a trustworthy person and you're working really well. But then we, we quickly find in the story that, you know, as a powerful man of that era is he has this beautiful wife, probably this trophy wife, because he's next to Pharaoh, and he can have whoever he wants. So he's, he's got this beautiful trophy wife that the power, pe- power people would have. And, 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 and here is Joseph walking through the household at, at about 17 to 19 years old, in that range, and, and this beautiful, gorgeous power trophy wife comes to him and says, Hey, my husband's gone. Come sleep with me. Let's just, let's just have some fun. Come on, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph basically says to her, he says, I will not betray your husband who's been good to me. And I could never, ever do this against God. It's interesting. I mean, can we imagine a 19-year-old abandoned at that level, forsaken at that level, rejected at that level, being offered such a huge temptation? And yet for some reason, Joseph has these convictions that God can be trusted and he needs to be trustworthy doing things the way God wants him to do. And he says no. But but as the story goes on, we find that one day he ends up in the house alone and she's been continually trying to tempt him. He, he ends up in the house alone with her one day and she grabs him and tries to forcibly get him to sleep with her and, and he lets her rip his coat off and he runs for the hills and, and then Potiphar comes home from work that day and, and she says, hey... I've got his coat. This Hebrew tried to rape me. And once again, once again, Joseph goes from the lap of luxury and the, and the comforts of life and, and the comforts of success in less than 24 hours to being in prison. And these aren't like prisons that we have today. These aren't like the minimum security prisons that people like Chuck Colson and all these fancy guys go to where they get to have exercise yards and they get to play games and maybe they even get to do a job and have some eating. These are prisons that are filthy these are prisons that don't have latrines that are normal. Just It's just gross, ugly. In the, in the winter, it's cold and damp, and, and you never get enough heat. And in the summer, it's hot, and you're sweating like a pig, and the water tastes horrible. And Joseph, once again, ends up in that boat. But there's something about him that's different because and he, and he processes these rejections and these, these things and these abandonments that he, that he, that he receives in a, for some reason a different way. I'm sure not perfectly, but for some reason a different way because we find him in the prison that that was overseen by, his, by Potiphar. And can you imagine Potiphar putting him into the prison and going to the guy who reports to him and says, make this miserable for this. Make this miserable for him. And yet somehow, again, because he he gives his gifts to God and he he approaches it in a different way, we find very shortly that Joseph is running the entire prison. He's still an inmate, but he's running the entire prison because God has given him him favor. Eight to ten years later, he's now somewhere in the vicinity of 28 years old, and he spent eight to ten years of his life in prison by that time unjustly he spent more of it in slavery unjustly eight to ten years now what's your story what's happened in your life that where you received rejection or or abandonment or been treated unjustly and unfairly you see, Joseph's life has something dramatic to speak to all of us because all of us have experienced this. And, and very few of us have probably experienced it even at the level he's experienced it. Some of you have. Some of you maybe even more. And the pain is real. But Joseph somehow, betrayed at every, every level, still, still endures you see, all, all of us have, had, have had been betrayed in at least these seven ways. We, we've probably been born into a dysfunctional family and had to deal with it. And, and, and most of us have probably been rejected by siblings or by a boss or by a coach or by someone significant to us or a, or a parent. And, and, and we've been abandoned and, and, and into, into stuff that doesn't make sense to us. We, some of us have been left alone in dangerous situations that we go, how could anybody ever leave us there? It doesn't make sense. Why did this happen? Maybe we've been sold into slavery. Now, maybe we don't have slavery today, but how many of you have been in a situation in your life where where you just felt like you were trapped by circumstances and you just couldn't change, you couldn't move, you you couldn't do something, you're just trapped and you just don't know what to do. Or you've been falsely accused, maybe repeatedly, and you've tried to do what's right, but nobody sees it and everybody spreads rumors about you. Maybe you've been in prison or... Or maybe, maybe you've been forgotten by a friend. You know, eight to ten years in prison, we see these two gentlemen get put in, put in prison. They were the cupbearer and the baker to Pharaoh. The cupbearer is, is the guy who basically tastes the wine and tastes the food and makes sure it's not poisoned, so that if he doesn't croak, then the Pharaoh can eat it, right? And he's very, very important and, and, and very close to the king and, and very trusted and a confidant. And then we have the baker kind of the check and balance there probably probably there was something that got through and they're trying to figure out who let it through but anyway they they're in there and they have this dream and and they're, they're just frustrated because normally in Pharaoh's court they had plenty of wise men who could interpret dreams, but here, here God's given, given them both a dream and they have nobody to, nobody to make sense of it and they can't make sense of it. And, and Joseph sits down with them and, and tells them the meaning of the dream. And for the cupbearer, it's, it's that you're going to be exalted back to your position and it's encouraging good news and it's going to happen like this in this time in the next three days. And, and then for the baker, the well, it's not so nice. And he basically says, okay, yeah, you're going you're gonna to find out your fate three days too but your fate's going to be your head's going to be off and you're going to be displayed in a grisly fashion for everybody to realize they better not cross Pharaoh and it comes true and can you imagine the relationship of the cupbearer with Joseph the gratefulness the friendship the trust and Joseph goes to him and says hey can you at least go to Pharaoh and help him talk to him and and see if he'll let me out can you can you and the cupbearer goes sure because I know you're a trustworthy, honest, good person. Otherwise, you wouldn't have treated me like you did. And and so he goes, yeah, okay, now my, now my time's up. And the cupbearer leaves and he goes back to Pharaoh and he forgets. He's let down by a friend. He's, he's let down by somebody who he made a major impact on their life. He's let down by somebody who God used him to to speak to him in a profoundly supernatural way that changed his life and should have wowed him, and yet yet he forgets him. And Joseph is left in this this stinking prison, living this this life of malnutrition for three more years. And the rocks of anger in Joseph's life that would be so easy to pick up and hold in his heart Somehow he endures. Somehow he, he goes through this and, and instead of carrying these rocks of anger around, instead of letting him break him, instead of it letting, him, letting him say, I, I didn't get a break in life. I've been treated bad. I deserve. He somehow leaves the rocks alone and doesn't let them in his life. And instead of these injustices breaking him, making him unable to ever trust, ever open up, ever care for someone again, he still stays open. Three years later, the Pharaoh has a dream. And none of the wise men can explain it. And the cupbearer's amnesia finally goes away. And he says, hey, I got the guy. So imagine that day. Joseph is in the prison he's, he's probably working with somebody trying to make sure the food gets distributed what little of it is and they're arguing over who gets what because there's not enough to go around and, and he's trying to work with this ornery prisoner saying hey you need to clean the sewers out today no I don't want to do it and, and all, all of a sudden in walk, in walk Pharaoh's bodyguards and, and, and in walk the, some of the highest officials and wise men in Pharaoh's court all dressed nice and they grab him and they, they take him out and they throw him in a bath, they shave him, they give him his first new, pair, new set of clothes and over 10 years and they parade him before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says this to Joseph he says Joseph i understand that you can interpret dreams and Joseph this this gifted guy who we already know has the gift of interpreting dreams says back to Pharaoh actually pharaoh no one can do that and if you're watching this is a movie script at the time you're probably sitting in there sitting in your seat going you idiot you know you, can do, you know God's used you to do this. This is something you've done before. But, but see, Joseph is not the same Joseph he was 10, 12 years ago. The trials and the circumstances of his life have caused him to, to learn that surrender and putting all your chips in the middle, not holding anything back to God is, is how you need to live, that you, that you can trust him completely. And that, and that he's, he's got this sober self-assessment of himself, which we talked about a couple weeks ago now, where he doesn't have to bolster himself anymore. He doesn't have to prove that he can do this. And, and, and he knows it's not him. He knows that it's really God who's given it to him. And so he says, no, actually, Pharaoh, no, no one can do that. And then he goes on to say something even more audacious in the context. And he says, only God can. And the reason this is more audacious is because you've got to realize, in Egypt they had many gods. They worshipped many gods. And here's this prisoner who was just dirty and filthy and stinky and without hope an hour and a half ago, now is standing before Pharaoh, the strongest, most powerful leader in the known world at that time, and saying, Pharaoh, your gods may not be able to give an answer, but my God, Yahweh, the one God, the true God, he will answer you. And he's even standing up to Pharaoh from the very beginning because he's a different man, because he trusts God's character and he trusts God's promises. And because he trusts those, because he believes that God's promises are true to him, because he believes that God's character is faithful and he will do what he says, he realizes that God is in control and he lives life like God is in control. And no one else is. Joseph accurately interprets Pharaoh's two dreams and and, and, and we see then that, that Pharaoh exalts him to the number two position because in the whole, in the whole empire, he, he instantly becomes the second most powerful man in the world. An hour and a half ago, he was a stinking prison manager and inmate. And now he's the number two guy in the entire world in terms of power. Here's, here's the application, or at least part of the application. In our work lives... In our lives in general, do we trust God when he, he says that his promise is that he places people where he wants them? The Bible says he causes leaders to rise and fall. He's the one who puts us in place. When, when, you are, when you're in your work or, or when you're in your family and, and, and you're kind of on the outs and, and you're being rejected, do, do you trust God that, that he's in those relationships and that he can get you where you need to be? That he's in control. Not the people rejecting you. That when when you miss this opportunity for promotion that and, and God's talked to you about a promotion and said you're going to be here someday, do you still trust him that hmm, he's in control? I don't have to be, feel a rejection about this. God's going to get me where he wants me to get, be at the time he wants me to be. You know, over and over again, and as you read chapters 37 through 50, you'll see this phrase that says, and the Lord was with Joseph. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? I mean, come on, think about his story. Think about a story. You might say, sure, yeah, in the end he was with him. But what about, where was he when they sold him into slavery? Where was he when he got unjustly accused and thrown back in the prison? Where was God? If, if the Lord's with him, then these things shouldn't happen. And isn't that what we say in our life a lot of times with our lives? We say, if God's with me, if God's really true, then this shouldn't be happening, right? Isn't that that what we struggle with in life? And in our trust of God. but, But somehow Joseph, by faith, was able to just really say over and over again, God really is with me. You see, there's, there's a couple things about the way he responded to evil. First, he responded to evil simply by surviving. You know what? Honestly, when you've been desperately abused or abandoned or neglected or whatever it is, whatever word you would put on the, the hurt that you've experienced from someone in the past, what, you know, maybe, maybe that's almost too big, but, but, but when you think about, you get frustrated in life or you feel bad about yourself, who comes to mind that you argue with and wish you could just put them in their place? You know, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a dad, maybe it's a maybe it's a mom, maybe it's I don't, maybe it's a boss. I don't know who it is, but who comes to mind for you when you, when you want to pick up that rock of anger? Most of us have a person like that, and and sometimes just surviving those instances is is, is good enough. I mean, if you walk home and you you see a sign on the refrigerator that says, "Hey, uh, uh, you know, we've been married 20 years, but I'm I'm leaving because I don't love you anymore." You know sometimes just surviving is good enough sometimes sometimes surviving is good enough when you're in a in a business partnership with somebody and you find out that this nice christian businessman you were working with who was so honest just embezzled everything and left you with the debt and possibly with the legal hassles and the charges and you know sometimes surviving is is just an a getting an a just for surviving but Joseph went beyond that as well, and and he learned to thrive because because he realized he had this sober self assessment that God gave him gifts, God gave him talents and and you, you know for Joseph, it was like. He, he didn't wait for the door to open for him. He, he didn't wait for the big break or the opportunity. He just, he just gave his gifts to God wherever he was because for him, that was part of being all in with God. It doesn't matter where I'm at, God. Wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, my gifts that you've given me are yours, so I'm just going to give them to you. Whether it's, whether it's being the favorite son or, or, or whether it's being drugged behind a cart being sold as a slave or, or whether it's in a prison or, or wherever it is, God, I, I'm just going to give you the best wherever I'm at right now. I don't have to wait for the big break. The big break isn't holding me back from anything. I can do it right now. But it's so easy. I don't know. I mean, I've experienced this. I've struggled with this. I get to the point in life sometimes where things aren't going well and I just start going out. I just deserve I just deserve life life's not fair and I deserve a break. I'm going to go home and eat some chocolates and I'm going to have some ice cream and I'm going to eat some pizza and I'm going to sit in front of the TV and, and maybe someday I'll, I'll be on the biggest loser because that's how I feel, right? But Joseph somehow just jumps in. He just continually in life develops this habit of. I trust you, God. So here's my gifts. I, I trust you, God. So here's my gifts. This this really stinks, but I but I trust you, God. So here's my gifts. You know, it's so so easy to not do that. Uh, number three, he resisted. He refuses to bail on God's agenda. He he somehow remembers that that God has given him promises. And it 's so easy sometimes when when we get in that to, to, to instead of remembering the promises and being quiet because we 're frustrated and stressed and, and instead we we try to escape or, or we try to we try to medicate the pain and, and you know we just say, okay, just that one extra glass of wine and 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 or or we go, you know, I've got this back medicine and, and it makes me feel good and I don't have a hurting back today, but I've had a really rough day and it, and it just kind of starts there. So we start taking that or or, or maybe it's like uh, maybe it's like I've been walked out on and I've been abandoned and nobody loves me. And so the next time somebody offers to sleep with me, I'm just going to I'm just going to go ahead and enjoy. I mean, why not? You know? Because, I, because God isn't here or, or maybe I'm just going to spend some time watching late night HBO and, and, and getting my needs met that way for a sense of excitement or belonging or, 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 or whatever and or sometimes we, we just decide, ah, forget church. You know, I mean, it hasn't worked. It hasn't helped anything. Life is still really cruddy right now. So I'm just going to go buy a boat and I'm going to use the money that normally I'd give to the church to go have fun because, uh, you know, so far following God isn't making life that fun. And, and so I'm just going to take care of the pleasure piece and the happiness piece on my own. And and the problem is that when when life becomes more about pleasure than purpose, we'll find ourselves in this place of, of being trapped in this place of, of religious performance. When, when life becomes more about me than about my surrender to God... Life gets out of whack and, and we're going to experience this spirituality that's dead and shame driven and, and awful to be a part of. And, and, and when purpose gets defined as God's purpose for me is to be is to be always happy, to, to always have this sense of happiness versus versus when purpose is defined as as. God, you've given me these wonderful things to walk in, and, and I've got to work this stuff out and following you. And, and I've got to lay down my life like Jesus laid down his life for a higher ideal that, that's more important than just the happiness. If, if, if happiness and pleasure become the goal, become the focus, instead of purpose and a higher ideal and surrender, we will be stuck. We will experience a dead spirituality. You see, when we face difficulties, whether God initiates them or whether He allows them because He's given free will, the reality is that God's plan is good for us. His plan is to bring peace and meaning and fulfillment and depth and life and and joy and all the good things of life. And it's so easy for us to look at the human things that happen to us and, and make them really big rocks that, that make us hard instead of continuing to believe that, that, yeah, these human-sized evil plans aren't anywhere near the God-sized good plans that He has for me. You see, God orchestrates even the bad stuff to bring about his highest good. So Joseph waited on God's time and place as well and and that kind of illustrates this because because here's the deal. If Joseph had never been treated as the favorite and his brothers had never been angry at him, he wouldn't have been sold into slavery. If Joseph hadn't been sold into slavery, he wouldn't have been sold to Potiphar. he hadn't been in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have been t- accused unjustly by Potiphar's wife and ended up in prison where he could interpret some guy's dreams and eventually go and interpret the dream of the Pharaoh himself and, and then be put in this place of greatness and, and goodness and and blessing to to millions. Really. Somehow, God's plan of 13 years ish of adversity. We're all orchestrated. It doesn't forgive, or it, does, it doesn't remove the evil. It doesn't diminish the fact that so much of this was wrong and evil, but somehow God is able to either decree or turn everything that happens in our life for his purpose to get the right man in the right place at the right time for the greatest good and for the benefit of even that man. You know, the people who did us evil, they don't have the power to ruin our life. The small, and I don't want to diminish the pain by saying this, the small human-sized evil that we've experienced it's only small because it has no comparison to the great big good plans God has for us. And this whole series, if nothing else, has been about how we can live in that. How we can really learn to trust God's character and God's promises. And, and finally, Abraham, uh, Joseph grew. He faced his issues and he forgave. And and we see this in the fact that in Egypt he, he got married and he had a family. And you know what he named his first two kids, his first two boys? He named them Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means I've forgotten. I've forgotten how my dad set me up for all this abuse. I've forgotten how my brothers abused me. I've forgotten the injustice of being thrown into prison. I've forgotten and I've left it behind. I've moved on. And Ephraim, his other son's name, means fruitful. I've moved on into the goodness that God has given me. He even named his kids to tell the story of his journey with God. You know, it's so easy and to forget to be silent, but but sometimes we just need to be silent. We need, to be, we need to have solitude when we've gone through stuff like this. And we need to look out of our prison because many of us feel like we're in a prison with what we've experienced. And we need to look out at the stars from our prison and we need to remind ourselves of the promises that God has made, which I'm sure Joseph did many evenings in that prison. He probably looked out the little window that he could see and, and looked at the stars and said, God, you've promised this. Sure didn't feel like that. I'm sure many times he said, I don't like it. Who likes being in prison? But somehow he had the endurance. Hebrews 10.36 says, For you have need of endurance and that one, uh, so that once you've done the will of God, you might receive what he's promised. So today I want to I ask you to respond by a couple things. This week you're going to read a couple verses that are about forgiveness. And we've talked about forgiveness here before, but I want to take it a step further. Forgiveness is a choice. The first thing we do is we stand up and say, God, I'm going to choose to forgive. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to forgive so that I can lay this rock down and not want to throw it anymore. Eventually, hopefully, God, as I choose this, this rock's going to go away and I'm not going to be tempted to sling it anymore because this does not make me feel good. It's heavy. It's cold. But I want to go beyond that. And you're going to read this this week in Romans 12, 14. It says, It says, this is the next step we do. It says, bless those who curse you. Bless and curse not. It's a command. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And then, and then later at the end of the verses that you're going to be talking about this week, it says, Never be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, Joseph learned this. His brothers come to him in Egypt, and, and, and they're terrified once they find out who he is. And, and Joseph responds to them by setting them up and blessing them with the best of the land in Egypt because he had the power to do it. He returned evil with good. And that's what God asks us to do. We'll never walk in the depth of forgiveness just by simply praying to forgive. That is the first step. So if you've got a rock in your life, if you've got one of those, if if you can put a name on this, you can put a name on the anger that makes you want to pick up a rock every now and then and throw it, you've got a rock. What I'm asking you to do this week is I want you to begin praying daily. God, forgive them. And would you bless them? And then I want you to do what Joseph did, is I want you to go to another step, and I want you to think of something good you can do to bless them. Now, now here's the deal. It has to be safe and appropriate. I mean, if you, if you have a relationship from the past where you were married or in a, or in a relationship with someone who is an abuser, and you, you don't go out and invite them over to your home and throw them a dinner. Okay? You do something that's safe. You do something that's appropriate, but nonetheless, you do it. You see, I read this last week, this this amazing story. There was a guy who he and his wife were divorced and it was really, really messy. And he later came to Christ and uh, and through the course, and then, and then later remarried a, a wonderful Christian gal. he went above and beyond with trying to supply the, the financial needs of his ex-wife, but she kept burning through the money and was trying to be homeless and uh, almost to the point of homeless over and over again. And finally, he, did, he chose, he said, okay, with the prompting of his new wife, he said, I'm going to actually buy her a home and set it up so she can never sell it and all the basic needs are taken care of for life. And for him... That was the kind of blessing that made the final freedom for he and the restoration of religious. Now, you know, all of us can't afford that. This guy was a very wealthy guy. But what can you do tangibly to bless those who have cursed you, to bless those who have rejected you, abandoned you? I'd like the uh, worship team to come. And we have, I want a response. You know, some of you, you're going sitting out there and you're going, you know what, I don't have a rock. And that's true. Some of you don't have a rock, and that's great. If you want at the end of the at the end of the service to come down and grab one of these rocks and take it home and use it as a paperweight, so that you're reminded constantly that I need to not pick these rocks up, that's your application point. If you've got a name on this, if you got a face associated with this, there's no pressure. But sometimes an active response is just a really helpful thing. I want you while the band is playing some instrumental to come down and grab a rock and, and I don't want you to write anything that's going to reveal a person's identity on it but and you don't even have to write anything on it at all, you can just come up and say God I'm taking this rock and and you know the person's name, you know who they are and I'm just going to lay it down, I'm going to get rid of it and don't throw it too hard, it'll bounce back if you've got open toed shoes it might hurt right? If you want to go ahead and grab a pen, there's pens here uh, and there And just write how they hurt you. Maybe you're just gonna say abandon me. Maybe you're gonna say abused me. And would you just lay it down and say, God, I'm choosing to forgive. And Lord, show me this week what I can do to bless, not curse. Take a moment. No pressure. But a response sometimes really is a good, healthy thing. So we'll just we'll just sit for a minute with it. And anytime you're ready take action I think one of the application points for today if we really trust God's promises if we really trust that, if we really trust that he has good plans for us like he says over and over and over again and if we really trust that his character is true We have to come to the conclusion that He's sovereign, He's in control. And when we come to the conclusion that He really is control and He can get us where we need to be, the right time, right place, right moment, for our good and for other people's good, then we can realize that things don't happen by accident. And really, the truth is, I am never a victim. I'm never a victim. Because even if I've been done wrong, even if I've been hurt so desperately by someone else, God's word and his promises are what? He'll turn it to the good. He'll use it. Can you imagine the desperateness of the pain in Joseph's life? And yet the freedom for him to remain open, to give his gifts to God in such desperate circumstances, to risk again in relationship over and over again. And that's what God wants us to his people, He wants that kind of freedom for us. Can we live like that? Can we really trust in His good? Can we really trust His promises and change the way we live because of it? How does that change the way you think about your life? How does it change the way you think about your relationships? If God really has a plan in all this? Even if it wasn't initiated by him, even if it was sinful by somebody else and he allowed it, but he's going to turn it, then it it completely changes the way we view life. Because we're no longer a victim. Lord, I pray for those of us here who who have felt like victims. Lord, I, I know that there's no way that you want to diminish the feeling of that, because the feeling is real. Lord, you do want to bring healing. You do want to bring hope. You want to leave the past behind. You want to to walk into fruitfulness for our lives. Lord, would you do that right now in each one of us?